You're listening to The Sower's Almanac, the church planting podcast of Ransom City Church. For more media content, visit ransomcitychurch.org. Hey guys, welcome to The Sower's Almanac. Thank you guys again for listening. Uh, I just wanted to give you a little bit of context for this episode. Um, This episode is a message that I preached um, at an event called Generation Send. Um, Generation Send is put on by uh, the North American Mission Board, which is part of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, which we are uh, a part of. Um, Ransom City Church is a Southern Baptist church, and they had asked me to speak at this event because it's a, a... a program uh, in Chicago for young up-and-coming leaders, uh, particularly uh, those who either feel an interest to pull a call toward uh, church planting, um, either as a church planter uh, themselves or to be a part of a team uh, that's going to plant a church somewhere. Um, And so it's a group of leaders that are drawing towards church planting in, in one capacity or another. Um, and they asked me to speak there. And so that's, that's kind of the context of this episode. Uh, but I thought it would be really helpful for you guys, um, that either are planting or considering planting, uh, because this was a message very, very much tailored to up and coming church planters and, and people that are part of a church plant. And so I thought of you guys right away. That's why I recorded it. Um, forgive the audio quality. It was recorded on my phone. Uh, that was, that was the best way I could come up with to do that, but I thought it'd be helpful for you guys. So we thought we'd throw it up there um, for you guys to check out. This message is actually uh, an adapted message from a sermon that I preached uh, a couple months back at Ransom City. Um, It was a message on Paul planting uh, the church in Corinth in Acts. Um, So I took uh, kind of my outline and much of the content from that sermon and then tailored it to this audience at Generation Send. And so if you've heard that sermon, there's going to be quite a bit of overlap, but there's also quite a bit that's unique because of the uh, church planting audience that I was talking to. And so even if you have heard the other one, I would encourage you guys to check out this episode. Uh, so without further ado, uh, here here's that message. Um, I hope you guys are encouraged by it. If you have any questions, as always, you can submit them at ransomcitychurch.org. Click on, I believe it's the Connect tab, and you could submit a question into the Sower's Almanac. But hope you guys enjoy this one. I hope it's an encouragement to you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Just to give you guys a little bit of info about me, um, my name is Seth Williams. I'm a pastor and church planter in Evanston, Illinois. Uh, We planted Ransom City Church a little over three years ago, Um, but yeah, just almost three years ago on the nose. Uh, We're part of the Southern Baptist Convention and the Acts 29 Church Planting Network, uh, for those of you that have heard of Acts 29. Uh, we're part of that as well. Uh, I planted, it was myself and my wife, and it was a team of seven of us total. Um, two, or, yeah, my wife and I, two other married couples, and one single dude. That was kind of our team that planted about three years ago. And I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, that I was the youngest, if not one of, uh, the youngest planters to make it through the Acts 29 assessment process, the, the church planning network that we're a part of. Uh, I think I was the youngest, if not one of, that's, that's ever done that. I was 23 at the time, uh, barely. I was turning 24 in a couple weeks when we got through it, but very young when we started. And, and I don't say that just to clarify so you guys know. I don't say that to brag. Um, here's why I highlight that. Um, number one, uh, that's why I have a heart for church planters, particularly 
young church planters or people who are young and want to be a part of a church plant, part of a team. Uh, I have a big heart for that because that was my experience uh, doing it at such a young age. In fact, at such a young age, in fact, to give you guys an idea, uh, the assessment process that I went through gave me a no at the first possible place it could have. Uh, because of my age, there was like the initial like flag of like, ah, no, you're too young. So I immediately uh, got a no because of my age. And then later they graciously let me kind of continue through the process and explain, you know, why I felt you know called to do this at the age that I was doing it at. But anyway, that, that's why I have a heart for uh, young up and coming leaders, planters, those who want to be a part of church plants and ministry, um, just young leaders in general. And the other reason I highlight kind of my age and my story is because of what I think to be the, the insecurity that comes with being a young leader. Kind of the, the fear that comes with that, the insecurity, the feeling of inadequacy, I think that, that's kind of built in to being a young leader up and coming. Um, and I definitely felt that. I remember, especially early on, it's not like I'm over it now. I still deal with that regularly. Just the fears and insecurities of, of being a leader, feelings of inadequacy. But especially early on, I remember being racked with anxiety pretty frequently, uh, asking myself something to the tune of, am I cut out for this? Do I actually know what I'm doing? Do I have any business doing this? Um, especially, I'm about to lead a team of people that I love and care about. Am I, am, I out, am I up for the task? Am I able to do this? And, and I would have this fear and insecurity overcome me quite often. And so I'll ask you guys that. How many of you guys would confess at some point you've had similar thoughts, fears, anxieties? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's extremely common. I think really every, every leader should have that to some extent. I think if we're honest about our own sin and frailty, there should be a, well, should I be doing this? But I think especially young leaders experience it more, more often. And that fear and that insecurity is what led me to kind of pick the passage and the topic that I wanted to go through with you guys today. Uh, I, was, I spent some time really wrestling through what I wanted to share with you guys. There's about a million things I would want to share with you guys uh, just from my experience in planting. But I kept coming back to this passage. Uh, I, I just kind of couldn't get away from it as I was praying through what to share with you guys. Uh, so if you would, open your Bibles to uh, Acts 18. And it's going to be verses 1 through 11. And this is uh, about Paul planting the church in Corinth. And the reason I couldn't get away with this is I think this is a great passage uh, to encourage us in the midst of our fears and anxieties and insecurities and feelings of inadequacy. So Acts 18, 1 through 11, and in the planting of the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, Paul actually confesses something personally about what he was going through when this was happening. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, Paul confesses that he was afraid in Corinth. He says, and, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. He's talking about the time when he was first with him. He's out and saying, I was horrified. Now, there's a number of reasons that may have been the case, but he was dealing with a lot of fear uh, and insecurity during that time. So here's the question. How did Paul plant this church in Corinth despite his fears and despite his insecurities? How does he do this? How does he overcome that fear that I think so many of us deal with? What quieted his heart and his mind and enabled him to plant this church despite these feelings of fear? And to answer that question, we're going to look at kind of how 
this church was planted, what the story of the planting of the church in Corinth looked like. And so there's three kind of key components to that, three ways this church was planted. And frankly, these are the same three ways any church is planted. So if you're taking notes, make note of that. This is, this is how it always works. It's really these three things. Um, here's the three ways this church was planted. Number one, hard work. Number two, perseverance. And number three, only with the Lord's help. Those are the three things we're going to look at. So I'll pray for us, and then we'll continue. Uh, God, I, I just ask you that as we gather this morning, that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts that are ready to receive uh, what you have to say to us uh, as you encourage us, as you preach your gospel of grace to our fearful hearts. Lord, I pray that we would receive it and that we would rest in Christ as our one and only hope. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, look with me at, we're in Acts 18, 1 through 11 again. It's in verses 1 through 5 as we're going to look first. This is the first way that this church was planted, and that was through hard work. Just nothing, nothing extraordinary in that sense, just plain and simple hard work. I'll read verses 1 through 5. It says this. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, and a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. I'll give you some context. A lot of you probably know this. Paul was an apostle. He was also a missionary. Uh, That was a big part of his apostolic ministry was he went to various cities preaching the gospel, uh, planting churches. And so he arrives in the city of Corinth and he immediately starts doing that. He, He goes to work preaching the gospel, seeking to make disciples. And to give you kind of a sense of what Paul is up against when he gets to this city. Here's a little bit about Corinth, because I think it's helpful for us. Corinth was an extremely tough city to do ministry in. It just was really difficult soil and a difficult place to do ministry in. It was, to give you some some kind of facts here, it was the largest city in Greece. Uh, It's a hugely populated city, a bit overwhelming sprawl probably, Uh, but it was also a Roman-controlled colony at the same time. So immediately you have some complications just within their history and where they're at. It's a Greek city, but Roman controlled. There's tension there. Uh, So the the city is already kind of on edge. Uh, It's also a major trade city. So it's a city that's buzzing with activity. There's a lot going on uh, all the time. And it offered all kinds of vices and sins as a result of that because there was just a lot going on. If you wanted something, if you wanted a particular idol, you could find it in Corinth. It was that kind of city. Um, And it was a Greek city, and because of that, uh, the Greeks had a tendency to seek wisdom. That was really their big idol. They they loved wisdom, seeking it in any way that they thought it could be found, but they often sought it in the wrong places. They sought it not in Christ, but in empty philosophical ideas and thoughts. So you have that going on in this city. And many in Corinth worshipped various Greek gods. Uh, There was a temple to Aphrodite, which is one of the Greek gods, uh, was right in the middle of the city center. And that was the goddess of love that they worshipped, and they worshipped that goddess through sin, frankly. There was a lot of sin just wrapped up in that practice of that religion. And Corinth had such a reputation for this kind of thing, for just kind of outlandish, open sin for immorality, that the phrase to act like a Corinthian meant to fornicate. 
That just was a phrase that people would use to describe that. That's the reputation that this city had. This is where Paul is. This is Paul's next stop on his missionary journey. This city. That might explain to us why he confesses, I was afraid. I was with you in fear and much trembling. That had to be a factor. This city has got to be overwhelming. There's got to be a lot of fear walking in here and trying to preach the gospel in the midst of all of this brokenness and sin. But God was with him. And God is bigger than the sin and the brokenness in this city. And that's the good news here. That he's bigger than the brokenness in Corinth. And that's what Paul got, uh, what God got Paul through that fear and that anxiety. And this is encouraging for us because if God was bigger than all of these things in Corinth, and he was, then he's bigger than all of those things wherever we go. Amen? Right? If, if God can overcome all of that in Corinth, and that's kind of an extreme example, I think, held up to be an extreme example, look, God overcame this, he's bigger than the sins here, then he can be, but he can and is bigger than the sins anywhere. And if it's his will to save people in a very messed up city, that's exactly what he's going to do. And even as I'm talking about Corinth, to give you guys idea, an idea, I, I preached through this text a few months back at our church, and one of the things that I highlighted is a lot of the things I just said about Corinth could be said of the city that I planted in. There, there's, there's a lot of overwhelming, uh, antithetical to the gospel thoughts and ideas just within the city, and God has been so faithful and gracious to us, and we've seen a lot of fruit despite that, because God is bigger than the brokenness in any city. By God's grace, when, when Paul gets there, he meets uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And to give you an idea, they're, they're husband and wife. Uh, Aquila is the husband. Priscilla is the wife. They're co-laborers with him in the gospel. By the time he gets there, they seem to already be Christians. Um, there's no mention in, in here of their conversion. They seem to just be believers when Paul gets there. And these two, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, are extremely valuable to Paul. They're an encouragement to him. Because they're just other Christians in Corinth. Remember, this city is overwhelmingly not Christian. Not only not Christian, but antithetical to Christian thought. Very much into the idols of the day. Right? And so just having these two believers uh, to, to have fellowship and friendship and encouragement with was huge for Paul. And so that's exactly what happened. They were, they were invaluable to him. Um, and they were also of the same profession. They were also tent makers, which that's not just working on tents. It's really leather workers, uh, to give you an idea. Uh, but they were able to allow him to make a living while he was there. He worked with them to provide for himself. They also housed him, so he stayed with them. These two are extremely valuable to him for fellowship, provision, housing. This is huge. And so I want to highlight something with that. Some of you uh, in this room may be like Paul and maybe more of the uh, lead planter type. You know, and when I say that, again, I don't even like that term, frankly, to, to kind of lay the cards on the table. I don't like the idea of lead uh, language. I think Jesus is our chief shepherd, and so even with that, I'm like, yeah. But here's what I mean by that. The, if, if you're thinking about church planting, the, the lead person in your head is probably the person doing the most preaching, the mouthpiece, that sort of a role. Some of you guys may be in that role. You may be more like Paul. That was, that was really his role while in the city. But I will say this. Many of you probably will be more like Aquila and Priscilla. 
not, not everybody in here is going to be the Paul lead planter, main mouthpiece, main preaching guy uh, type. It just, that's not going to be everybody in here. And also, by the way, me being in that role, don't de- demystify it. It's not that, it's not that glamorous. Okay. I do this, you know, most weeks and I will tell you it is not what you think it is. It just isn't. Now it's, it's, it's great. There's joy in it, but I don't want you to just seek that uh, in your hearts and minds and think that that's the most elevated position. Some of you will be like Paul, but many of you, I think, will be like uh, Priscilla and Aquila, uh, meaning members of the team, just team members of the church plan. And I will tell you this, that role is extremely valuable. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, Just being a part of the team and going, I'll serve however you need me to serve is hugely valuable. Do not write that off. And I want to just kind of give you testimony behind that. Uh, We as a church at Ransom City Church would not at all be where we are right now if not for my team. Period. There's, there's no way. There's absolutely no way we would not have what's going on at our church by God's grace today if not for the team that works tirelessly around me. I wouldn't be able to do what I do without them. They are invaluable. I cannot stress that enough. And so I want to encourage you guys, don't, don't just assume you're the lead guy or gal in whatever ministry you aspire to. Don't, don't assume that, number one. I want to encourage you guys to, to really pray and actually ask the Lord and seek an answer, is that me or am I just supposed to be a member of the team in some other way? Don't assume you're the lead person because you may well be more valuable in another role. I will say that. There, there are people that just are going to be more valuable in a different role and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There, neither is more valuable. I really want you to hear that from me because I don't think enough people stress that. I think there's a lot more focus on the lead mouthpiece within church planting. The, the, I'll give you the secret. We wouldn't be able to do what we do apart from the people behind us. All right, so don't overlook that. Really pray and ask the Lord for an answer. What would you have me do? Where am I, more, where am I better fit? And I will give you another example of that. We've got uh, one of our guys that was on our team, the seven of us that moved to Evanston to plant, the single dude that I was talking about, Mike. He's one of my, one of my best friends. Uh, we go way back and he joined our team and we, uh, the three of us that are elders at Ransom City is myself and then Chris and Greg, we just assumed Mike was also going to be an elder. Like kind of along the way, that was the picture in our head was he'll be, he'll be another pastor at some point as we grow. And Mike on his own, to his credit, and I'm putting him out there as an example, he said to us and went out of his way to go, I'm not that guy. That's I'm not wired to be an elder as I look at uh, the, the qualifications in scripture, I'm really more of a deacon and I know that. And so I just, I don't want to like waste the time of trying to fit into a role that I'm just not wired for. I think I'm better suited to be a deacon. And frankly, he was right. He was right. He, he absolutely is more suited for that. And we are hugely thankful for that because he's hugely valuable to us as a deacon. But that took a lot of humility to just go, no, actually, I'm not going to take uh, the more prominent upfront glamorous in people's minds role, I'm going to take the servant role. That's incredible. And so I I want to encourage you guys just as valuable, you know, learn from that, think through that, wrestle with that. Where where am I more uh, suited and really seek the Lord in in asking that. And so Paul, what we see here, he doesn't go it alone. Uh, Immediately we we have a sense of kind of the team he has around him. He's, He's got Aquila and Priscilla. And then even later on in the passage, it mentions Silas and Timothy. 
He doesn't have nobody around him. He's not parachuting in by himself. He doesn't go it alone. And why I highlight that is I want to encourage you, really neither should you. If you can help it, don't do it alone. Okay, I, I, there, there are church planting stories of like, I parachuted in, it was just my wife and I. And usually those are racked with, and then it, there was a lot of pain and misery for a very long time until we got a team. Okay, that's the part that's skipped. Uh, you, can, you can just circumvent a lot of that if you can start with a team. So again, not everybody can. There are instances where you can't. And even with Paul, he doesn't really start with one as much as he gathers one when he gets to Corinth. So I'm not saying one way is right or wrong, but I'm saying if you can help it, have a team. Have a team. Because I, again, I can uh, testify to that. My team is extremely valuable to me. And the reason for that is because they share the load with me. Church planting is, as we're talking about, incredibly hard work. And it's just too much for one guy. It's too much. It's just way too much. And so I, I rely on them. They take the load from me. In a lot of ways, we share the load together. And so I'll, I'll encourage you if, you, if there's if you're forced into a corner and forced into a decision, you have to choose between either going now by yourself or waiting. I'll wait a little while and then I can gather a team. I'm going to tell you to do the second one. Because wherever you're feeling called to go, it's probably not going anywhere. Uh, the need's probably still going to go there. And for your own spiritual health, if, if I'm discipling you, that's the direction I would push you. What's the rush? Why? why? Why rush to have no team and be absolutely overwhelmed for however long until you gather one? Let's, let's breathe a second. And now again, there can be exceptions to that. There may be something time sensitive. I get that, but usually not. Usually we put the time constraint in our own head. So I will encourage you, if you have to choose, I would wait and gather a team. And we're telling the guys right now that we're raising up to plant churches in the future at our church. That's exactly what we're telling them. Is don't, there's no rush. Wait. Let's try to gather a team for you. And so already here, with the, the team that's kind of forming around Paul, we're seeing God at work and providing for Paul uh, in his meeting of Aquila and Priscilla right when he gets there. And this enables Paul to start right uh, into the hard work of preaching the gospel and making disciples, and that's exactly what he does. In our text, it says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Every Sabbath. He's hitting the ground running. <laughs> He's reasoning in the synagogues. He's preaching the gospel. He's hard at work. He's persistent. That's a big part of this. He keeps at it. This is a repeated thing. He doesn't have a bad day and then go, ah, forget it. Because there's going to be those moments. But he doesn't. He keeps at it. He's persistent. And so he's, he's putting in the hard work, in fact, so persistently that when Silas and Timothy get to Corinth, and these are Paul's friends and fellow missionaries, when they finally get there, after they've completed the tasks that Paul has given them, they, what do they find him doing? Look in verse 5. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. This was Paul. He was hard at work that at any given point in time you could find him doing this. Paul and Silas get back, or Silas and Timothy get back. That's exactly what they find Paul doing, preaching the gospel persistently. This is how persistent he was in the work of making disciples and preaching the gospel as he planted this church. Now, why? There's a couple reasons for that. Number one, because he took the mission of that, that God had tasked him with incredibly seriously. And what was the mission that he tasked, that God tasked 
Paul with? It's the Great Commission. It's the same mission that you and I are tasked with. It's not a different mission. You know, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That, that's what he's doing. That's the mission Paul's tasked with. We're tasked with the same one. But Paul took it seriously. And the same should be true of us. We should take that same mission seriously enough to put in the hard work. That's what Paul did. He didn't see it as an option. He said, okay, this, this is my mission. I'm putting in the blood, the sweat, and the tears to make it happen, to make disciples. But here's the second reason Paul is so persistent in his hard work in, in planting this church. Plain and simply, church planting just is hard work. It just is extremely hard work. And for any success in the world of church planting, it's going to take very hard work. And not for the short term, but a prolonged period of time of incredibly hard work if you want to see fruit. That's just the reality. I don't know of any easy church planting stories. So yeah, we opened up shop and like we didn't really try very hard and it just sort of, that doesn't happen. Right? Church planting just is inherently incredibly hard work. So you've got to put the hard work in to see uh, any sort of fruit that you really want to see that glorifies God. And, and, and I'll tell you, that has been exactly my experience just in how much hard work church planting is. For one, in my assessment process with our church planting network, part of what, one of the big interview questions was this. It was, uh, how, have you ever put in an ex- extremely hard amount of work as far as like hours, you know, weekly hours of work for an extended period of time? Tell us about a time that you did that. And the reason they were asking that was because they knew what I was signing up for. And they wanted to prepare me like, We don't know what's going to happen, but in signing up to be a church planner, you are signing up for extended hours, long, hard work. And they knew that. And that was exactly what we've experienced uh, just in our journey. I'll tell you this. It's the most work I've ever put in in my life on anything and the least amount of tangible like fruit that I would choose. It's the most man hours, most blood, sweat, and tears. And to give you an idea, we're three years in. Our church is 45 people. That's three years of labor. Labor in the trenches. 45 people. It's not, I think before I planted, I really thought, like, if you put in the work, 3,000 people. Like, I don't think I had that big of a number, but in my head, it was way inflated. And it's just not reality most of the time. Uh, from my memory, I think the average church in America is somewhere close to 75 right now. Just to give you an idea, that's the average. So in, in all likelihood, when you're church planning, you're probably not going to beat the curve. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like, that's not a bad thing. It's just good for you to know and kind of get rid of unrealistic expectations. Because you hear a lot of stories that skip a lot of the middle part and they go, yeah, we opened up shop and then it just blew up. Well, a lot of times they're leaving parts out of the story. Uh, but for us, it's, it's been hard labor for three years and we're still a small church. That's just the reality. And part of that is the, the city that we planted in is, to give you an idea, the, the most transient city I've ever seen. Uh, we've had more people move than I, I can even count or want to because it just makes me sad. Uh, we, we've had a lot of people that we love come plug into our church for a year or two and then they're gone. Like, you don't, and we didn't know that before we moved there. So we move, we get on the ground, we start laboring for the gospel, we learn more about our city and go, oh, this is going to make the growth part a lot harder if we're constantly losing people, and that's just true. So that's kind of part of our journey, but it's the most work that I've put in and the least amount of human fruits, kind of what we think as like the most glor- awesome and glamorous, and again, that's usually just numbers. 
but it's not without fruit. It's, it's just not the fruit that I would choose. It's the more hidden spiritual fruit, seeing people m- grow and mature in Christ. And that's, that's what glorifies God. Amen? Not just the size of your church. And so I, I just want to give you guys kind of that sense. And I will tell you, again, church planning is just hard work. It's certainly not glamorous at all. I, I don't think I knew what my uh, work days were going to look like prior to planting. And I had a very kind of delusions of grandeur. Of just like, it's going to be awesome. Or there's going to be days where you have eight meetings and all eight of them cancel on you. You're just sitting in a coffee shop alone. That's a, that's real. That happened. That was a real day. I literally, at the end of the day, called one of one of our fellow pastors with me and just told him, like, I just had all of them cancel. It's amazing. Like, that's a one in a million shot that every single one of them. But, like, stuff like that happens. And, and you know, God was glorified even in that. That's fine. It's not a big deal. But I just want to give you guys a sense. Like, it's not this glamorous, amazing thing all the time. There's plenty of days that are just really hard. And some of them are depressing, and some of them are scary, as Paul's dealing with. It's not not the glamorous thing you probably have in your head. I, I will also say, it's very hard work, but it's not complicated. It's really, it's not complicated, it's just really hard work. And here's what I mean by that. I think a lot of planters, when they talk about church planting, almost make it sound like it's rocket science. Like, I'm not, I'm not underwater welding. That, that's not, like, we're not learning to do something that complicated. It's really, like, do you love people? Are you preaching the gospel? Are you going to labor alongside of them and, and cry with them and, you know, weep with those who weep, encourage them, grow them in Christ? These are things that, like, anybody can do. And, and I want to tell you that, like, demystify it. I'm not anybody special. I'm extremely kind of blue-collar-minded guy in, in how I preach and, and everything that I do. I'm just not, it's not, I'm not wired to have everything be super complicated, and God has been very gracious to me. It just, if you're willing to put in the hard work and be faithful to the mission that God's called you to, you can do this. You can. You know, I know, I, I think that's a secret church planters don't want out, because I think we like thinking we're awesome, but no, really. God is good. God is awesome. You can do this. You really can. And whether and that's whether you're the lead type or team member, you can do this. If you're willing to put in the hard work and just be faithful to the mission that God's called you to. So church planning is hard work, but I will say this, it's also worth it because it makes much of Jesus. And if we're doing our job, it, it points sinners to him. It glorifies Christ, which is the most important thing that we can do. And it points sinners to him that they'd be saved from their sin. That is worth the hard work. In order to glorify Christ, and even for a chance that one sinner would be saved, and that one sinner would grow in maturity in Christ, it is absolutely all worth it. I will tell you that firsthand. I wouldn't take any of it back. I'd do all of it over again for all of that. So how is this church planted? The first way, hard work. Planted simply hard, but joyful work. The second way this church is planted, perseverance. Look at verse 6 through 8. It says, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Uh, His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the word together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Perseverance, just that word in and of itself, implies suffering and opposition. It's implied in the word, perseverance. Otherwise, what are we persevering through? 
What's the hardship? It's not hard to persevere when nothing bad is happening, right? That word really is inappropriate at that point. What are you persevering through? So when we're talking about perseverance, we're, we're implying there's going to be hardship. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be struggle. And if we're doing our job in seeking to make disciples, that's absolutely true. We will face opposition. It's not an if, it's a when. If we're doing our job, we will face opposition. And I am also implying if you're not facing opposition, you're not fully doing your job. I will say that. Because if you're really preaching the gospel, you're going to ruffle some feathers. Amen? Like sinners are not going to just like that inherently. Right? So you're going to experience opposition if you're doing your job because sinners don't want to hear this. Charles Spurgeon uh, talked about the same sun that uh, melts the wax, hardens the, uh, or I'm sorry, I messed that up. Yeah, no, I said it right. The same sun that, that melts the wax hardens the clay. And what he was talking about was it's the same gospel message that preached to, it can be two different sinners, and one is going to be melted by that truth, repent of their sin, look to Christ, and the other is just going to be hardened by it and reject it. The message is the same. The message hasn't changed. It just depends on what's going on in that person. But there are plenty that are going to be the clay, that are just going to be hardened by the message that you're preaching. And so because of that, you will face opposition. And not only that, but uh, Satan's not a big fan of church planting, if we're honest, at all. We don't just wrestle against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual war against Satan and sin. And so there's going to be opposition from him, absolutely, as you go forward. And we've experienced it over and over again. And so Paul was no exception here in his experience of suffering. He absolutely suffered and experienced opposition while he was making disciples and planting this church in Corinth. That happened to him. Verse 6 says that they, uh, the many of those who were hearing the preaching of his gospel, had said they opposed and reviled him. So Paul experiences rejection, opposition, and suffering for the sake of the gospel in the city of Corinth. He experiences this, but the question is, how did he respond to this opposition? This is the important part. It's not, did he suffer? Of course he did. We're always going to suffer as Christians. This world is not our home. This is is Satan's realm. It's going to be redeemed one day, but right now the, the world is going in the trajectory towards Satan and sin and rejecting Christ. Right? But how does he respond to this opposition? Verse 6 says, uh, When they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. He just kept going. Just kept going. Shook it off. Kept going. Persevered. And this is very important because there's going to be times that you want to quit. There's going to be a shocking number of times that you want to quit. I have had this. Had many a day where you're like, do I really want to keep doing this? And it's not all the time. There's plenty of joyful days that you're like, yeah, I can't, I can't wait for tomorrow. And then another thing will happen and it's the opposite. Right? But I've had plenty of days where you're, you're wondering, should I keep going? And it, sometimes it's, it's not even because of anything going on in particular. It's just weariness in your own soul. You're just tired. But there are days that, that you're going to want to quit. Uh, I'll give you this illustration because it was told to me and it's been really helpful for me. Um, Chris, who's one of our other elders at our church, uh, the guy who actually led me to Christ. So to give you another example of humility in our team, uh, led me to Christ and then also came onto the team under me in more the lead mouthpiece position. 
that's awesome. So again, just to stress that again, don't assume you're in that position. I cannot stress to you enough how valuable Chris is to me. He's one of my best friends. And he shared this with me. Uh, this was his, his disciple. He was on uh, staff with uh, Campus Crusade at the University of Iowa. And their like campus director shared this with him at one point, just about ministry, uh, as he was kind of coming into a ministry role himself. Uh, <laughs> Charlie, this guy said to him, uh, there's days where I just fantasize about being a garbage man. Because you take the garbage, you throw the garbage in the truck, garbage is gone, you go to bed, and that's it, and you just, that's your day, and it doesn't follow you home, you're just, you're in, you're out, you're done, you can move on with your life, like, and he literally said, there are days where just all day, I'm like, man, it'd be great to just, just be a garbage man and not be doing this. And there's plenty of stuff that's going to happen where you're going to have some similar thought. And I wanted to share that so that analogy is in your head so you know, number one, you're not crazy. I experience that every day. At some point, I'm like, garbage man sounds good. Like, <laughs> some point in the day, right? But So I want to encourage you. Here's why I'm sharing that. Perseverance is incredibly important because the, the temptation to quit is kind of ever-present in the realm of church planting and, and ministry just in general. But he keeps going. Right, and, and another lesson here that I think is important, you know, he experiences opposition from this group, but he, he just moves on. I, I, he, he tries for a while, he preaches the gospel, they keep rejecting it, and then he moves on to another group. I think this is an important lesson, especially in church planting. Don't chase people. Don't. Like, it's, for one, it's weird. Like, at a certain point, you're weird now. You're weird. Uh, if you're chasing them and they're just constantly rejecting you, you're now the one that they could get a restraining order on. Don't do that. Uh, number two, it, it just makes no sense. Like, if they're, if they're rejecting it, your time is better well spent elsewhere, right? Just moving on to another group that is more receptive to it. Now, again, I'm not saying to write off that group completely, but at least for the time being, figure out, all right, maybe there's a better use of my time. And here's why I say that. Paul did that here, and Jesus did it over and over again. It's a shocking amount of times <laughs> that Jesus experiences rejection. He's like, all right, bye. I don't care. Like, he, he doesn't waste time running people down. Like, there's plenty of texts that if I wrote it, that's the way that it would go. And that's not what he does. At one point, Jesus preaches a really hard truth. The, in, almost the entire crowd is like, that's weird, bye, and they leave. And Je Jesus responds not by being like, guys, you misunderstood me. Let me explain the analogy, because he was talking about communion. But he said, eat my body and drink my blood. And they were like, what? And the crowd leaves. Right? But he doesn't go, let me explain the context. Let me explain the meaning and all that. He doesn't do that at all. He, in fact, turns to the apostles and goes, you want to leave too? I mean, now is as good a time as any. So are you guys out? And they go, no, where would we go? And I love that because that tells you that's what goes on in the heart of somebody who gets it. Where am I going to go? Run to where? Like, even if I join that crowd, I don't even know how I would do that what that would look like. Pour into those people, right? That's where you invest your time. Make sense? Don't run people down. It's not helpful. If, if they're, and to give you an idea, this, this has been our experience. If they got one foot out the door in your church plant, uh, when, when they get there, it's probably not going to change. There's been some instances of that, but by and large, don't fight the current too hard. You know, if it is as simple like, no, I need to have a conversation with this person, I owe them that much, then do that. But don't keep pouring time and energy into it. If they're already out the door, there, there may be other healthy churches and healthy ministries that they can be a part of that are better suited for them. And God bless those ministries and God bless them. And that's fine. So don't you know, try to fight the current in that way. So anyway, this is, so he, he keeps going. 
uh, through this in the midst of opposition. He, he just moves on when they reject him. And look what happens as a result of Paul persevering through the opposition that he's experiencing. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, And he left there and went to the, to the house of a man called named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Because Paul didn't give up, but he persevered through suffering and opposition, sinners are saved. That's what, directly, because if I'm going to keep going, I'm not going to quit, let's just keep going, right? Let's, let's figure out where, where else God might be calling me to pour into, and that's what he does. He perseveres, sinners are saved. Now, does that mean that it's always going to look how you think it's going to look or how you want it to, go, want it to look, and that everybody that you preach the gospel to, you're, you're going to have this experience. Oh, they, they're open to it and they're saved. Does that mean that? No. It doesn't mean it's always going to go uh, how you want it to go. It doesn't mean that you're always going to see the fruits of your labor either. There may be plenty of people that you preach the gospel to. They absolutely reject you. Years later, you find out they came to Christ. That happens. That happens. You might not get to experience and taste it yourself, but it's worth it. right? But, but no, it doesn't always mean it's going to go how you want it to go. But I will say this. We won't sees sinners saved by giving up. There's not even a chance. Right? By giving up, you have opted out of even there being a chance of that. You can't be a part of this process if you give up. You're only going to see sinners saved if you persevere through opposition. That's the only way that's even possible. And in fact, I'll give you kind of an illustration. I, I went to... Uh, there's a church that's partnered with us in Arkansas. It's also part of uh, the SBC that we're extremely grateful for. They've been hugely helpful for us. So that's another important thing. Find partner churches to come alongside you and encourage you. But they're down in Arkansas. And so they, they bring up teams pretty frequently. Frequently, A few times a year, they'll send a team up to help us with something. So I'll go down there every now and again just to kind of give an update. Here's what's going on. Here's how you can be praying for us. So this is one of our trips down there. And I was brought up for like a Q&A <coughs> after the sermon where the, the pastor there, Drew, asked me, what would happen in Evanston if you gave up and just quit? That was his question. And I answered the question differently than I would have thought I would have answered the question. I think God was at work because I had never thought of this before. And just in that moment, it clicked. And my answer was this. I said... It's not like if I gave up the people that God has chosen for his own, for people for his own possession in that city, in Evanston, are not going to get saved. It's just, I'm not going to be part of it. I, I have now opted out of being a part of that redemption story. That's what would happen. God's going to save who he's going to save. Right? That. He doesn't need me. He would just send somebody else. But the heartbreaking part is if I give up, I'm opting out of the joy of that experience. I'm opting out of the sanctification and growth and maturity in Christ through the suffering and opposition of preaching the gospel in that city. I'm opting out of all that. All the growth, all the joy that comes with that. It would be on me. I would be missing out. And I want you to hear that. That's what's at stake if we quit and don't persevere through suffering and opposition. It's not that God's not going to get done what he wants to get done. He will. You're just not going to be a part of it. And that is heartbreaking. Amen? So that's what I want you guys to remember. 
that we're only in trouble in the sense of sinners aren't even, it's not even possible for them to be saved, at least with us involved. We're only in trouble if we give up. But if we keep going, God's going to do what God always does, and that's save and redeem sinners. Not all of them, but some of them. And he's going to make much of himself either way. Whether people reject his gospel or accept it, he'll be glorified in our preaching of it. Amen? So perseverance, that's the second big thing we see as far as how this church is planted. Thirdly and lastly, only with the Lord's help. How is the church in Corinth planted? Only with the Lord's help. Now I saved the best and most important point for last, and I did it on purpose. Uh, Without God's help, the reality is there is no church in Corinth. At all. Not a church in Corinth. Never would have happened. Wouldn't see any of the fruit that we're talking about through Paul's labor without God's help. And, And the reality is you can do my first two points. You can put in the hard work and you can persevere through suffering, but if you don't have point three, which is God's help behind you, then no church is going to be planted. You can put in hard work, you can persevere. If God's not with you, it's not going to happen. It's just not. Without his help, it's not going to happen because you can't do it on your own. You just can't. I don't care how hard of a worker you are. I don't care how stubborn you are in your perseverance through opposition. God's not behind you. You don't have what it takes to make it happen. And Psalm 127.1, a lot of you are probably familiar with this text, but it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Man, is that true is it, it, in terms of church planting. It's true of anything. Unless God does it, it's not going to happen. Unless God wills it, it's not going to happen. But it's especially true in church planting. Unless he builds his house, his church in this city, it's, our labors are in vain. We need God to make it happen. We've already seen God at work with Paul in his missionary work in Corinth throughout this passage. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, Number one, in in meeting Aquila and Priscilla when he gets to Corinth, that's directly God. That's not an accident that he meets these two that are a part of his team and an encouragement and a big part of this planting story. That's God who orchestrates this meeting. And I will tell you, God often helps us through sending other people. Don't overlook that. Right? Often he'll send you a team of some kind, and that's God answering your prayers. And so we see that here with Paul. And we also see God at work in using the rejection from the Jews in Corinth to reposition Paul where he wanted him. That's the reason Paul moves on, was because of the opposition and rejection that I'm sure was painful in the moment, but that's what God uses to go, no, I need you here, because these are the people that are mine that I need you to preach the gospel to. You wanted him there, and so he repositions him through the the suffering and opposition. And we also see God at work in saving Crispus and his entire household and the many other Corinthians uh, who are saved through Paul's preaching. That's God who did that. It's God who opened their hearts to the gospel, melted their hearts that they'd receive the gospel as good news. And we could say more as far as God at work in this passage throughout the whole thing, right? None of this would have happened apart from God's help. But verse 9 through 11, I do want to highlight. There's where it's really, really on display. Uh, Verses 9 through 11 says this. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. 
and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is God at work. This is why this happens, is because God is doing all of the work as he empowers Paul to open his mouth. And just to remind you all that God does throughout this process, just listen as I kind of remind you of these gospel truths. It is God who chooses and predestines who will be his people before the foundation of the world. God does this. And then he sets things in motion to make that happen. That those people will hear the gospel, believe in the gospel, and be saved. It's not an if, it's a, it's a when. It will happen. But God chooses them and sets things in motion to make that happen. Puts the people in place that he needs to, that they would hear the gospel preached to them. It's God who sent Paul to Corinth and kept him safe while he was there so that he could preach the gospel to those whom God had predestined as his own. The many in Corinth who were God's people that, that is talked about in, in that verse. It, it is God who provides Paul with a, a place to stay and a means to provide for himself in Corinth. This, this means of tent making and the housing that is provided to him, that's God who does that. It's God who enables and empowers Paul to open his mouth and preach the gospel in Corinth by the Holy Spirit at work in him giving him the words to say and the boldness to say them. It's God that's empowering him to do that. It's God who melts the hearts of those whom he has chosen as his people so that when they hear the gospel, they're broken by it and they repent of their sins and they put their faith in Christ. It's God who does that work in the hearts of those whom he has chosen. And that's exactly what happened here in Corinth. It's God's gospel that saves sinners. It's not our lofty speech. It's not our impressive presentation. Thank God, because if we're honest, we don't have what it takes to just convince people. We're not that special. Can we admit that? We're just not, right? I'm glad that God is the one doing this, because I I don't have what it takes. And there's plenty of moments that I don't have the words, and yet God saves those people anyway. It's his gospel that saves, not our lofty speech, but it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, as it says in Romans 1.16. It's God in Christ who pays for our sins and redeems us as a people for himself by the blood that Christ sheds on the cross for us. It's the blood of Christ alone that's the reason that any sinner can be saved at all. Apart from the blood of Christ shed on the cross, no sinners are saved. That's all God. It's God alone who will strengthen and empower us to keep going and keep preaching the gospel, even in the face of of opposition. It's him alone who gives us the strength to persevere by his Holy Spirit. Because we don't have enough gas in the gas tank some days. But God meets us in that and gives us what we need to keep going by his Holy Spirit. So because of all of those things and more, It's God alone who gets the credit and the glory for any redemption story. Whether that's in Corinth or anywhere else. In Evanston, anywhere else you guys go. God gets the credit for any redemption story because it couldn't have happened without him. At all. That's true for Paul, and that's true for you and I. And so if you are taking notes, here's the main point that I've held from you until now uh, of this entire thing, what I wanted to funnel toward, it's this. Churches are planted not by the wisdom of man, but by the power of God. Churches are planted not by the wisdom of man, but by the power of God. 
And back to our question in the intro. This is what quieted Paul's fearful heart and mind. Jesus saying to him in this vision, I am with you. I'm with you. It was this reminder to Paul that churches are not planted through his just labor of his own hands, but by the power of God. God is with me and he will make it happen. So I don't have to uh, be overwhelmed by my fears. I can keep going and just doing what he's called me to do because God is with me. And this is such good news because if we're honest with ourselves, we do not have what it takes to make this happen on our own. We just don't. None of us do. I don't care how clever and witty and what a good speaker. Pick pick your favorite uh, ministry icon in your mind. They, They don't have what it takes. It doesn't matter. None of us have what it takes to make this happen apart from God. And I will tell you, there is not a single day that goes by uh, as I'm pastor of Ransom City Church after we've planted that I'm not painfully aware of my own inadequacy. You can talk to me afterwards, I'll tell you right now, all the things on my heart and mind where I am failing and, and seeing my sin, I'm broken by it, I want to repent of it, but I'm just not an example right now in some of these areas, and, and I need to grow, and I need to change. And yet God has called me by His grace, even though I'm a sinner, even though I have things to work on and sins to repent of actively, daily. I know that. I feel my inadequacy, and so I will encourage you with that. Again, you're not alone, but here's the gospel truth for both my heart and yours. The truth is this. You're not cut out for this. You're not. And here's what I mean by that. There's only one person who really ever was, and that's Jesus. He's the only one who fully is qualified to shepherd and lead sinners. Amen? And actually, that's our hope, is that he is qualified in our place. Is that he is my righteousness, your righteousness. He perfectly was an example and led perfectly the people under his care. And so through faith in him, I'm given uh, his righteousness. I'm clothed in his perfection that when God looks at me and my relationship with him, he sees someone who perfectly leads by example, which is mind-blowing because I do not. But this is the, the righteousness of Christ gifted to us through faith in him. And it's also good news because Jesus is my strength to do the impossible, which is the very thing God's called me to. Church planting is an impossibility apart from God. It's an impossibility if I'm left on my own to do it, but it's not up to me on my own. Christ is my strength and he is with me and he is in me. Amen? And that's true for you guys and I want you to be encouraged by that. It's these two realities. I want you to really get familiar with these two verses I'm going to share with you. John 15.5 and Philippians 4.13. John 15.5, Philippians 4.13. Put them together and it's very important and helpful. Watch what happens when you do. I'm just going to quote them together. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Those are both true. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing, but I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Jesus is with us, empowering us. It's not up to us and our ability and wittiness to plant churches, but it's by the power of God. 
Uh, Church Planner told me before we got started this, and it was really helpful for me, so again, I'll pass it down to you. Uh, I had a, I was raising support, and so I had kind of a support raising meeting with a guy who had planted, I think, a year, he he was a year in. So this was fresh. (laughs) Now that I know what the first year is like, I'm going, man, there's probably a lot of going going on in his heart and mind, because the first year is terrifying. Uh, so it was like a year in for him, and I met with him, and, and I'm, uh, I think it was starting my internship at my sending church to get trained to then go plant. So this was a number of years ago, um, and I met with him to raise support and, and hopefully get their church to financially support uh, our church plant, not realizing they're a church plant that doesn't have any money their year in. But anyway, it, nonetheless, I met with him for this, and this is what he shared with me. I, he asked me specifically, uh, why do you want to plant this church in Evanston? And I gave him what I thought was a good answer, and it wasn't a bad answer, but I just rattled off a lot of like spiritual-y things that I thought sounded good. So it was, you know, oh, there, there's somebody lost in the city, and I want to see them come to faith in Christ, and we're gonna we're gonna change the city, and we're gonna da, 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 da. delusions of grandeur is a lot of it. Um, so uh, now again, a lot of those were noble and good desires, but I think I was just so focused on how good those things sounded in my answer. And that's not for a guy that was a year into church planning, really what he was looking for in that question. So he lovingly said this to me. He said, all those things are fine. Like, I I like all those things. Those things are true. I'm glad you want those things. But here's the truth. God's not calling you to plant a church for the sake of these people. You're you're not, it's not just like you're going to be God's gift to this city. Okay? That's not what's happening right now. What he said to me was, God is calling you to plant this church for your sanctification. That blew my whole grid. And it's true. It's not just, oh, I'm going to be God's gift to this city, and we're going to come in, it's going to be awesome. And we're gonna... No, you're going you're to be in pain, you're going to bleed, you're going to be sweaty, in tears, struggling, seeing your sin on display daily, because the, the pressure of planting and ministry will squeeze it out of you. The sin that's already in here, it'll, it'll squeeze it out and you'll see it for what it is and go, oh, that was in here the whole time. Oh my gosh. Right? But it's, that's going to happen. It's going to be pressure and hard work and labor that God is going to use to pursue you. Because you are his child and he loves you too much to leave you exactly where you are right now. So even when you're thinking about ministry or being a part of a church plant, remember that it's not just you're going to go for the sake of the lost people in that city. That is absolutely true. But even behind that, this is about God's pursuit of you. This is for your sanctification and growth in Christ. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read the book of Jonah. What is the book of Jonah about? Is the book of Jonah about the Ninevites? Or is the book of Jonah about a guy who God called to a mission, who rejected and ran from it, And the whole book is about God pursuing one of his own. I think it's the second one. The Ninevites are part of it. Again, it's not that they're not important. God loves them. They are also his people. But what's the focus of that story? Jonah, his rebellion, his running from God, and God is pursuing him. That is a perfect example of what we're talking about. It's not just you're the gift to that city. God is going to sanctify and grow you in the process. And this is the biggest thing I think that God has been teaching me in planting is that I need him. I need him to do this. The thing that he's trying to grow me in as we talk about church planting being for your sanctification, he's trying to get me to let go of making this all about me, relying on myself and my own skill and my own strength and see, you can't do this without me. When are you going to see that? I think that's the thing that he consistently is trying to correct me of. Learn from my mistakes, make your own. 
right? You can make different ones, but don't repeat that, right? Rely on God. See that you need him to do this. You can't do it apart from him. Rely on him. And so when you sin and when you fail as a leader and you will, use it. And here's what I mean by that. Lead out in repentance. Model repentance. Again, it's not an if you're going to fail, it's a when. You're going to fail, you're going to sin, you're going to struggle, you're going to be weak as a leader, right? Use that as a moment to model repentance. This is what it looks like to be broken over your sin and to run back to Jesus and use it as a moment to get the focus off of you and go, no, this is why you don't hope in me as a leader, but you hope in your chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. Because of this moment, because I am a sinner and I'm going to fail you, let's all look to Jesus together. That's what you do when you fail. It's the biggest and most important thing you can do is point people to Jesus. So again, churches are planted not by the wisdom of man, but by the power of God. I want to encourage you guys to rest in that this morning, that it's not all up to you, that you don't have what it takes, but you serve a Savior who does. You don't have what it takes, but you serve a Savior who does. So do not be afraid, as it says here, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for he is with you. Do what he's called you to do. Preach the gospel. Put in the hard work. Persevere through suffering, but leave the results to God and trust him with the rest. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this truth and this reminder that we can't do this without you. God, I just pray and ask that you would help us to not forget this, that this would daily be the gospel truth in our hearts and minds, that we would remember that we're not going to plant a church because we're witty or be a part of ministry, be a leader in ministry because we're witty and have what it takes. But God, we, we don't have what it takes. We rely on you for what it takes. And we're only doing what we're doing by your grace. Help us to remember that. Help us to keep Jesus, our chief shepherd, as our only hope, as our righteousness, never to hope in our own righteousness, which is never good enough, but to put our hope and trust fully in Christ and his righteousness and the strength that he provides for us to keep going and keep making disciples. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.